0: and welcome to Knighton on Negotiation, the podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Knighton. My philosophy is that you cannot change the other person you negotiate with, but you can change how you negotiate with them to achieve better outcomes for you or your organization. This podcast series includes interviews, lectures, speeches, and webinars, and includes materials from all four of my books. For more information and free resources, please visit www.jnighten.com. Enjoy. All right. Welcome to Metrics, SLAs, and KPIs. This is the Contract Negotiator's Toolbox. This is a series of three webinars covering topics that my clients often struggle with the most and find the greatest benefit from mastering. I've designed this webinar to move very quickly from the baseline to the development of a joint score scorecard. At the very end, I'll explain some examples of how you can potentially develop a joint scorecard where customers and suppliers f- provide feedback to each other. For those of you who are not familiar with me, I am Jeanette and I am the author and or co-author of three books, including Getting to We, The Vested Outsourcing Manual, and Negotiation Rules. And I work with supply chain professionals on the both sales side and on the customer side to provide tactical, customized contract negotiation training, coaching, and one-on-one mentoring. All right, so what are you driving at? With respect to service-level agreements, SLAs drive behaviors, and behaviors drive performance. So if you measure safety, the supplier will adopt behaviors that emphasize safe interactions or safety in the workplace. If you measure savings, then the supplier will adopt behaviors that will emphasize saving money. SLAs are in and of themselves neutral. They can drive positive or negative behaviors. So it's important to know what the performance is that you're driving, and then develop the service-level agreements from there. I know a lot of companies use templates, but then you have to ask yourself, is this the behavior for this particular relationship? If you want good performance from your supplier, then you've got to be able to drive the right behaviors. And typically, SLAs fail to drive performance. So if you're looking to drive performance, then you need to really look at what it is that you want to accomplish with the relationship or within the category. Often we face this syndrome of red faces and green scorecards. This is sometimes called the watermelon effect. The supplier scorecard is green, meaning they've got positive scores for the category, but the customer is still disappointed with the supplier's performance, and there are several factors for this phenomenon. And this um, webinar will help you understand why SLAs failed to deliver on the promises of supplier performance and develop some best practices for working with SLAs metrics and KPIs. I want to start with a brief explanation of what I mean by a metric SLA and a KPI for anyone who might be completely new. I've got one slide. Why SLAs fail to deliver, best practices in developing SLAs, and then move into developing a joint scorecard. Without understanding why they fail and the best practices, then it'll be very hard to develop a really robust joint scorecard. All right, brief explanation. Metrics are a standard of measurement to describe a desired performance standard. So, you know, something very simple like the number of OSHA incidents if safety is what you're looking for, the number of parts per million defective if you're in manufacturing, or the number of minutes it takes the dis- the supplier to answer a customer service call. In and of themselves, they ideally provide objective data, so You can have customer service satisfaction scores, which can be anecdotal. Yes, I was pleased with the service that I received, but typically when I work with metrics, I really like to see objective data that can be validated. A service level agreement uses metrics to establish the level of service the supplier will contractually commit to perform. So a safety service level agreement might be zero OSHA incidents per quarter. Or if you're in manufacturing, it would be two parts per million that are defective or two minutes to answer a customer service call. So that would be the service level agreement with that metric being OSHA, parts per million, or time to answer. A key performance indicator typically helps the buying company evaluate the success of the overall deliverables by using a quantifiable measure or metric. Or it could use a service level A metric or service level agreement can then, in fact, be a key performance indicator. So safety can be a key performance indicator at my public utility client. Defective parts per million can be a key performance indicator for my manufacturing client. And calls answered within two minutes is a key performance indicator for my call center client, okay? So KPIs are specific to each business, and I always recommend no more than three to five KPIs for a particular category to drive the right kind of performance, and those have to be tied to operational objectives. Okay, so why do SLAs fail to deliver? Number one, companies set the wrong metric, the wrong unit of measurement. So they use what they have in place already, but it's not needed for this relationship or it's what some other companies said that they used because I just went to ProcureCon and we were talking about various metrics, so maybe someone comes back and says that might be a good metric for my company um, or it is a good metric, but we can't collect the right data. We collect the wrong data or it's insufficient data or we're not able to validate the data, and so then it creates ambiguity or even contention between the customer and the supplier. Um, we also tend to use the metric for the wrong purpose, meaning it's not tied to a business objective. Now, safety at a public utility is tied to a business objective, but you can imagine that if you use a call center metric of having to answer the phone within two minutes in a public utility down at the plant, that's A correct metric but it's being used for the wrong purpose because it really may not be tied to a business objective of making sure that the turbines are in fact generating electricity. You want to measure tasks that are completely within the service providers control. So you don't want to measure a task if part of the process of that task is outside of the service providers control because then you don't really get an accurate understanding of suppliers' performance Or there's insufficient definition underlying the service level agreement or the key performance indicator. So people don't understand what it is and how it's going to be used. I've seen that quite often in renegotiating SLAs and KPIs, that everyone comes to the table with their own understanding, which then doesn't drive the right kind of service provider performance. Secondly, companies set the wrong target. So for example in a call center setting the target might be the number of calls per representative per hour and that might be 20 but why do we want that number of calls per representative per hour is it efficiency does it provide thoroughness of call is it the quality of help provided and then you know what is the standard 20 who set that standard is that an industry standard did some other company set the standard how does it apply and then More importantly, what's the downside of the target? And in this particular case, 20 calls per hour was not giving thoroughness of call or quality of help provided. So they were getting their 20 calls done, but their customers were dropping the service because they weren't getting the technical support that they needed. So that's why we really have to look at, well, what's the target and how are we going to provide the end customer the kind of service that we want? set a better target that's more thoroughly thought through. And then third, misused penalties and unaligned incentives that go along with it. So by misused penalties, what I mean is an emphasis on liquidated damages to recover for small deviations in trends over a short period of time. So for example, penalizing monthly rather than looking at a quarterly or semi-annual trend. Right, there are often legitimate business fluctuations that need to be factored into any SLA. Now, my public utility does not have any deviation with respect to OSHA. You can respect, you can absolutely respect that, but you might want to do a trend line that's more than a month in calls when your company might be. Um, advertising for new customers and a higher adoption rate of a particular technology, that flood of calls into your call center may change the trend line for a 30- or 40-day period while the sales pushes in. So you really want to be able to understand, because if you really emphasize liquidated damages, then you're going to get that 20 calls per representative per hour, but then you're not going to be able to get the kind of quality in terms of technical service, and then those customers may, in fact, drop your buying company's service. You really want to be careful about the overuse of liquidated damages, and you want to have any incentives for stretch performance aligned with really the right kind of behavior that you want. So you can't do an incentive for safety if you have zero tolerance for a safety incident, right? There's no reason to incent that. But if you could incent to 20 calls per hour and still meet the customer's expectations around quality of service, then you might want to um, incent that and see if the supplier can create uh, more highly trained technical people to take those calls. Okay, so best practices, And developing SLA. So those are the three main reasons based on research that SLAs fail to deliver for the customer's expectations. Now let's look at best practices and then let's talk about scorecards. Okay, best practice number one. We want to start from the business objectives and not from a template. And I want to slow down here a little bit and talk about this and then we'll open up for questions at the very end, uh, closer to half past the hour. This is a really big issue because when I am working one-on-one coaching and we are working with um, scorecards, we are often starting from a template that my personal coaching client doesn't necessarily understand. How was that score originally uh, devised by, I'll use the purchasing side, by the supply chain manager? They don't know how the data is collected. The supplier is pushing back on it because we're not able to answer questions about how the information is going to be used. They may not have um, a business case to support that particular business object, or excuse me, that particular particular SLA relative to a business objective. So it might have been something five years ago that was an issue, but it is no longer an issue. And but tracking it isn't getting us what we want. To have a valuable metric and use this in a scorecard setting where you've got incentive bonuses for stretch behavior or liquidated damages for poor performance, it really must directly contribute to the assessment of the service provider's ability to help the customer achieve a business objective. I want to say that again because I did this in outsourcing agreements, so huge, massive outsourcing agreements. One had six lines of business within the outsourcing Framework. The other had nine different um, relative services within the outsourcing agreement, and each one of those lines of business had its own scorecard. And we worked very hard to determine first the customer's core objective with respect to that uh, line of business, and then we worked back to see what could the service provider genuinely impact, and then how do we measure that? So if the goal is to streamline operations and that's why you're bringing this particular service provider on, then your metrics, your data, should measure the service provider's improvements to your operation team. And so do you see where that can lead to why SLAs fail? Because if you're not able to capture that information or validate the service provider's information, then you've got a valid metric, but we don't have the right kind of tools yet to measure it. But it is always a best practice to start from the business objectives of the buying customer, not from a template or not from what others in the industry do. Second best practice, you want to establish a service level agreement metric or a performance standard before working with the other party. So when I'm on the sales side, they tend to understand what the performance standards are in the industry for that particular customer type. Um, But with respect to the customer, you really want to establish it with your business team going into any RFP process. You really want to understand what the corresponding metric is, what the unit will be, how you're going to collect the data, and how you intend to validate the data before you start working to issue that RFP. And you can use performance standards, which I tend that term tends to mean, to me, an industry-wide performance standard as opposed to a standard for your company. So an industry-wide performance standard might be 97% uptime for a data center, but for your company, with redundancy, you might need 99.9% uptime, right? So that would be the difference. In order to set SLAs, if this is something that you're doing for the first time, in terms of working with this kind of service provider or at this level of interdependency, you want to look at the business case and the technical specifications, but then you don't want to go hog wild. You can't have a, um, an SLA for every technical specification. That's where you really have to understand what are the bigger goals that are driving that particular SLA or metric. And then third best practice is renegotiate SLA's metrics Um, And performance standards as people gain experience. Now, this happens in many of my long-term contracts, so contracts usually in duration of more than three years. There is an annual um, mechanism, quarterly business review or annual business review to review the service level agreements and then annually to reestablish service level agreements and metrics as time goes on. Now, what you could do is you could have some that are static, like safety, that are a must and must be tracked every single time. But something like cost, you could, at the beginning of the relationship, track. But then you might want to track something like adoption of new technology within um, a particular type of service as the next metric. And you might want to take cost off because you feel like you've got a pretty good handle on how to drive costs out of the relationship. So you want to set up a contract mechanism to allow for renegotiation of SLAs and metrics. And what this, this means is you actually have a section, an article in your contract, or a separate schedule that would allow the teams to renegotiate on an annual basis. So you would make it a customer-supplier obligation, and i facilitated these meetings and what we did because it was, um, there were several services being provided by one service provider to a telecommunications company is we got a huge room with tables and we were all in the same room and the telecommunications company vice president set the charter for the, the relationship, et cetera, et cetera. There was a, a bunch of report outs on what was going well and what wasn't going well, what the mission statement was of the telecommunication company, upcoming mergers. All the sort of thing that was relevant to the service provider was discussed, and then each team broke into a subunit and worked through for the rest of the day what the metrics were, and then we regathered as a group at the end of the day to report out so that the entire team could then inessentially approve or vote on what the overall scorecard looked like in each individual business unit scorecard. So that's a real best practice because then you know that your scorecard is actually reflective of the past year's past performance and the future business needs of the buying company. All right. So I have a stretch goal here. Um, And this is something that I'm very passionate about now that I'm starting to see the people that I've been coaching are either leaving the company that I've been working with, or they're being promoted within the company. And they understand the metrics that we designed for our complex contracts. We understand why we have a certain service level agreement, but their successors do not. And this is a real issue that I would like to uh, encourage everyone who's listening to this to develop a metrics or a service level agreement definition document as a little cover sheet. It's a, could be on the face of the scorecard as its own separate sheet or it could be its um, own separate Word document. But it accompanies the scorecard, which could be a spreadsheet. And it would describe each metric, the intent of the metric, why was it chosen, how is the metric to be measured, by whom, Who's collecting the data, and how is it going to be interpreted, and then what's the outcome? So, for example, one of my clients negotiated retention of key personnel. It's a long story, but it's um, so critical that we made that a key performance indicator, and it's our number one for this particular relationship, the retention of key personnel. And so, you know, we really wanted to, un- we had talked about it for so many months with the service provider that we really had to discuss what the intent was, how we were going to measure key- the performance, or excuse me, the retention of key uh, personnel, who was going to collect that data, how were we going to validate that data, and then they, my, uh, the supplier is going to be paid a retention bonus. For meeting the metric of retaining key personnel. And so they are, they want that money because that's pure profit. It is a bonus. It is not part of the fixed fee we're paying. And so you really want to be able to have that continuity of understanding because literally money is on the line. You want to be able to act upon that metric when there is a problem, like a one month spike. Of 10% up or down. Is that a cause for immediate concern? Is it correlated as with my call center client to a spike in a sales activity and so therefore it should be evened out in the process rather than penalized to the service provider? You know, do you want trend lines of quarterly or semi-annual? Do you want a runway as we're ramping up new technology? Those are all the things that would be considered included in the definition document. All right, so let's move to developing a joint scorecard. Um, This is a particularly um, interesting issue for me because yesterday I was in Phoenix at ProcureCon Indirect West 2017, and eBay yesterday morning gave a presentation on getting supplier feedback so that eBay could be customer of choice in a very competitive technology market. So they wanted best in class suppliers. And in order to do that, eBay said it wanted to be customer of choice. So they're looking at developing their own feedback mechanisms from suppliers. What I would call, because I'm a contract person, a joint scorecard. Because I can, I can create that. I can, make that into a schedule. I can create the language to uh, create the obligations for each party. So let's talk about a joint scorecard developing feedback from the supplier to the customer, not just from the customer to the supplier. Now, I have rate your pain. It's a little tongue-in-cheek, but sometimes it's pretty darn difficult to get that kind of quality information back from your suppliers. So a joint and balance scorecard are strategic performance tools, and I mean strategic. This means you as a buying company and your strategic suppliers are mutually going after a goal in the market. You are mutually agreeing to a business objective, and so you want to measure each other's performance as it relates to that business objective so that as, as a true partnership, then both companies can corner the market. They are developed and and deployed to identify previously unidentified opportunities for positive and tangible financial outcomes. So that's how I've used these joint scorecards. So when there are customer obligations... That are necessary for service provider innovation or continuous improvement in order to go after a market. The service provider wants to be able to give the customer feedback about its its ability to adopt the service provider's technology innovations or or just you know continuous improvement in order to be able to continue to move very quickly to innovate. And so as a result, that Innovation is the business goal, and then through this, you're identifying opportunities for positive and tangible financial outcomes. Meaning, how do we move to from paper to paperless, from you know to an online customer portal, whatever the issue might be for your company? The most critical component of a joint and balanced scorecard are these three to five key performance indicators, and the key performance indicators should be a mixture of financial and non-financial measures that align to the business objective. So you don't want all three or five to be all about finance. You might want some of them to be about change management, for example. So in some industries, they use collaborative planning, forecasting, and replenishment, primarily distribution centers and manufacturing. So early adopters are deploying CPFR, collaborative planning, forecasting, and replenishment, as a way of developing one shared sell-through forecast, right? So those are joint metrics to improve the planning and forecasting and replenishing of stock and manufacturing. But if your customer's not prepared for a full-on uh, collaborative planning joint scorecard, then suppliers can pinpoint the key elements as business objectives and then establish a metric with the customer for the customer to achieve in order to meet that CPFR standard. And then the joint scorecard would help the customer understand its obligations to get itself prepared if the supplier is already ready willing and able to do a collaborative planning, forecasting, and replenishment. So this is something that's definitely coming down the pike in manufacturing if it's not already at your company. All right, so here's an example of a joint SCAR card. Uh, this is from my work with Kate Fantastic and Vested Outsourcing, and we used – so this is the sample that we use in our teaching modules, and then we modified this for – Our particular clients and I've used this a couple different times. So when the buying organization originally shifted some of its outsourcing services to the new supplier, it used this joint measurement approach that I'm showing up here on the screen where both parties were provided a score for four key metrics. And as you can see there are the four key KPIs to the left. We recommend only three to five, no more than five because it becomes truly unmanageable. Then the first column, reading from the left to the right, is weighting. So the scores are weighted for a sum total of 100%, and in this scenario, there were four leaders who would give the supplier a score from one to five. Then in the next column, the aggregate score was totaled, and, excuse me, there were four leaders who would give the supplier score to the customer. I read that too quickly there were four leaders who would give the supplier score to the customer, ranging from a score of one to five. Then the next column, the aggregate score was totaled. And then finally, in the second to last column, the supplier scored itself on those KPIs from one to five. So this is the supplier's um, scorecard. So what happens is, is the client is given a score, then the service provider is given itself a score. Now, you can imagine then on the next sheet of these KPIs would be the individual scores from the client to the service provider, and then the client would then self-score, okay? And so then you take these two sheets and you create a spider diagram, a five-point or a three-point, four-point diagram that shows literally the um ways in which the two companies perceive their own performance and the performance of the other with respect to these key performance indicators. I would encourage you all to contact me if you've got any kinds of comments, questions, or observations with respect to developing scorecards or developing joint scorecards. Thank you all very much.